Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird and I'm Yontir, your host, and I am really thrilled to be having as my guest Tina Mary Bard, who is an author and a heathen and druid down in Western Australia. And it's very cool to have her join me today to talk about some of her writing. So when Tina isn't writing, she can be found conversing with trees, hanging with her dogs, making art, playing musical instruments badly, being volunteer fiery or crocheting things while the cats sit on them. She lives with her husband and pets in the magical cottage in the forested hills above Perth, Western Australia. Tina, welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Thanks very much, Jan. It's really nice to be here. I've listened to every one of your podcasts. So, uh, thanks, so thanks so much. I appreciate that. It's so lovely. We've been in touch over, what, the last year or two that you've that you've been listening, and it's been such a joy to have these conversations with you offline and, and chat with you. And then you told me that you are a writer and I got to read a couple, uh, one of your books all the way through and I'm working on another one and I see so many more that look very interesting. So I'm really glad to be able to have you uh, with us to talk about uh, at least a few of them. I didn't realize how many you've written. <laughs> You're quite prolific writer. Yeah, well, uh, the writing... Um... I think I was always supposed to be a writer, so the writing's just gone on for many years, but a lot of it just sat waiting for self-publishing, I guess. So, um, yeah, so suddenly I had a lot of books available, but they'd just been waiting, so. That's really cool, I, and we've talked about this, and I, I told you that I have these ideas in my head. It's just getting them out that seems to be the problem, so for me anyway. So it's just kind of, it's really cool when you can actually start sitting down to a keyboard and getting them all put out and then finding a way to publish them, such as through Amazon, which is where your books are published, or do you publish them somewhere else as well? Oh, well, I, I do have one on Kobo, and I was setting out to uh, reformat them all and put them all on Kobo, but that hasn't actually happened yet, so. Oh, great. Well, we'll keep an eye out for them. Let's talk about some of the series that you have. And uh, I want to start with the one that I've read, of course, because I really, really loved it. I read from the Norse World's, not Norse World Tales books, I read The Land of Fire. And I just have to tell you what a delightful story that was. I was really interested and invested in the characters from the very beginning all the way through the end. And as I got into the book, I used to read it before I would go to go to bed at night. And as it got towards more the end and I started getting more involved, like, okay, do I want to stay up another 15 minutes and, and get to the next chapter or read through the next chapter? Or do I just stop right here and then just pick it up tomorrow? It was, <laughs> I just wanted to know what happened to the characters. So thank you so much for that book. That was so fun. Oh, that's fantastic because nothing makes me happier than hearing that people have enjoyed my books. <laughs> I did. I did so much. It was, it was so fun. So Land of Fire is a great little book about uh, a couple of characters and you introduce uh, Perry, who is a Society for Creative Anachronism uh, reenactor. Um, is that correct down in, in Australia? You have SCA or is it just a, a different organization? We definitely have the SCA here. Yeah, I, I loved it, and I would still be a member now, but it, it all happens a long way away from us now. So, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think once an SCA, are always an SCA. So yeah, probably so. Um, and I'm sure a lot of folks will agree. And and Perry is a part of this medi medieval reenactor stuff, and then he meets a special person 
uh, named Lily uh, through his friend. And then we just have just a wonderful set of characters that you have created that get taken to an alternate reality. Tell us a little bit about this alternate alternate realm or alternate Australia. Well, I tend to write just in a straight line. So I, I don't always necessarily know what I'm going to do. So basically I started with Perry and then I brought Lily in and then I just went, well, what am I going to do with them now? So uh, I love the Australian megafauna. They're just amazing. They were here, you know, tens and tens of thousands of years ago and they were just some, you know, really big lizards that were like the size of sort of dragons and really giant wombats and huge kangaroos and even some kangaroos that were meat-eating kangaroos and and I just thought, okay, I'm adding megafauna, but how do I do that? So I'll have to bring in another dimension. And then I wanted the culture to be different. And I, well, I, you know, I'd done a lot of reading on Norse culture. So I thought, well, what the heck? I'll get the Vikings all the way to Australia in this dimension. So that's kind of where I went with that. I love it. And it was a really fun way that you got them into this dimension. And then the, the whole thing the whole realm that you then culture that you had created and and set there and then i love the some of the alternative the alternate um, be creatures such as the tupper and some of the other animals and fauna and and just all of that was just a really cool alternative to what we know today and then it almost seemed like it was kind of simultaneously like just slightly shifted they were really there but really in their other realm as well, because they kind of recognize certain landmarks and things uh, as they were going through their adventure. They do, yeah. yeah that was, it was nice being able to set it in Western Australia and actually use, you know, the land and areas that I know well myself and then just put them into the other dimension, um, yeah, with a slightly different climate, I guess, because um, there'd been, you know, we didn't have, they didn't have the same sort of agriculture and things, so we didn't have the same sort of drying out that we've got now. So, um, yeah, I got to have a bit more water, which I thought was great. So you you involve a lot of the Norse and Germanic gods and goddesses as part of this. So what kind of led you to that? Actually, we're kind of jumping way ahead of this. So uh, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. And let's talk about what brought you to uh, paganism or your current spiritual practice. And how do you identify that? So, um, I grew up um, in a what's well, a Church of England family, an Anglican family, but not particularly strong. I was sent to Sunday school and things, and I just, you know, like a lot of people, I just didn't get it. I just didn't get why people liked it. Um, I, I've always loved nature and animals, and I was somewhat of an unusual child, as so many people who become pagan are. And I just didn't have a religion for a long time or a spirituality, and yet I actually did. And then I moved into a share house with some pagans they were wiccans and that didn't quite gel for me either but i got to read all their books they had these fantastic books and from then i became more of a sort of a you know just a non-specific pagan with a an altar to the god and the goddess and you know um then i met my partner who is very he he's a very sort of a thoughtful person and he likes to read about all different sorts of religions and spiritualities and one of the books that showed up was about Druidry. So I read those and I went, nah, that's not me. Because I went, oh, trees. And then I went, nah, because it was just all these old guys in white 
outfits, you know, wandering around doing formal ritual and things. I was like, no, nah, that's not me either. And then I heard Dave the Bard's music on CD Baby originally. And I was like, you can be a druid and be not a really old man in a white outfit. And uh, it kind of went from there. So then I started with druidry probably about 15 years ago, studying the Obod course basically because of Dave the Bard kind of led me into that, uh-huh. as he does so many other people. And from there, I some years earlier, because of my partner, I had been learning to um, meditate um, in a, not such a spiritual way, but I had learned to journey and so on. And it was through the journeying and then through the studies with Obod that I started to learn to connect with, you know, God's guides and spirits and so on. Um, But I was very connected to Epona because of being a horse person, identified as a horse person all my life. And then when I finally said goodbye to my last horse, I didn't feel that same connection to her anymore. So uh, I did something that I'm not necessarily going to recommend other people do. (laughs) I went and sat under a tree and I said, is there a God out there who's either already taking an interest in me or would like to take an interest in me? Because I felt lonely without Epona there in those that daily way. And um, a raven in the tree above my head just started cawing at me and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> uh, not that, you know, not Odin. And, uh, and so I had my Odin experience, as people call it, and he said to me, if you hadn't wanted it to be me, you shouldn't have done all that research on me. So that was what I was told. But actually then I was like, oh, I don't really know because I had that sort of feeling that heathens were racist and I didn't really know other people who were like that, um, who weren't, you know. So he said, go away and do some research. Come back to me if you've got any questions. And I did go away and do research and I found Rafnar and the Troth and so on. And I went, oh, okay, this is very cool. So I went back and asked him lots of questions and was answered very patiently. And the relationship has grown from there. So, yeah, he's actually been fantastic. Oh, that's great to hear. I got interested in Dave the Bard as well a very long time ago. And, man, his music is just so captivating. Yeah. I really love it. And have you seen the Spirit of Albion movie that was made uh, based on his album, The Spirit of Albion? Yes, we've got that. We usually watch it once a year at midwinter. Isn't it beautiful? It's such a wonderful film. Uh, We watch it often too. Love it very much. Yes. I've been very lucky to actually go. He came himself and his wife, Carrie, and uh, Christopher Hughes, who is the uh, leader of the Order of Anglesey. Um, Druid group Uh, they all came down and did a camp last year with us in South Australia and I flew across and I got to spend time with the three of them and I was um, a bit fangirly about the whole thing it was so fantastic to get to do workshops and go to a little sort of small concert that they had at the camp and things like that so yeah I remember being quite jealous of you at that point thank you for reminding (laughs) me so I'm gonna just put that on my little list here of things to be jealous of Tina over (laughs) <laughs> he comes to the U.S. a lot, so, you know, uh, hopefully he'll come somewhere near San Diego. He hasn't something. come to the West Coast, though. I think it's uh, probably a little bit more difficult or cost not cost-effective to come out this far. But, yeah, he has been to the U.S. I might have to make yeah. the trip over to see him. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So, so great. So, thanks for your that journey and meeting with Odin. Yeah, generally, Odin shows up to a lot of people who just kind of put a blatant statement out there that says, hey, if there's anyone interested, (laughs) you might generally get a tap from Odin. (laughs) Yeah, 
he's so interactive. I really, I really, you know, uh, having experienced sort of Celtic gods first, I find the Norse gods, I mean, you know, this is UPG, obviously, but I, I find the Norse gods really friendly and informal. And I really like that about them, that they're really interested in stuff that you're doing. And um, yeah, so I've, I've just, I really enjoy it. So let's, yeah. so how did you decide, or why did you decide to go with the Norse pantheon then for the the Norse World Tales books. And it seems like the uh, uh, Fjord, Fjord Rider, are, are those Norse tales based as well? I haven't read those books yet, but they, I have them. They're kind of set in a, on a, a just another world, I guess, on a big, very large continent. And that character started out as my SCA character and the Freya Fjord Rider. And she just, but she became something else. And so I wrote her a, a, her own story. So there. I wrote, that was the first book I ever wrote was um, Freya and the Golden Bear. And it was um, while I was studying teaching and I was kind of studying teaching and having this realisation that I really shouldn't have been studying teaching. And (laughs) so I was being this very sensible, ordinary person all day and doing my teacher pracs and things like that. And I would come home at night and just write this Freya story like crazy on a very old typewriter that my grandmother gave me when I said I wanted to be a writer. So I wrote my first book on the typewriter that my deceased grandmother gave me and I would just write ferociously and uh, they're quite bloodthirsty. They're, they're very funny and rude and they're, very, they're probably unlike anything else I write, but I do have a lot of fun with those. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, sounds like a fun set too. And, and I didn't realize that uh, Freya and the Golden Bear was the first book you wrote so i'm looking forward to reading that one then you can you can tell that there it's an earlier book like i think my writing has has um smoothed out a lot since then but it, it, I, I had a friend who was reading it for me like as my first reader in fact he's still one of my first readers and he he kept me writing because he said I've been not able to put this down and I've been driving to work and at the lights, I've been picking it up, putting it on the steering wheel and laughing and people are looking at me because I'm, it's like before mobile phones, he was doing the the bad thing, you know, reading on while (laughs) he was driving. So so that's like, well, you know, if I can give someone that much pleasure and make them laugh out loud in traffic, then I must be doing something right. Have you thought about reading them as an audio book? I have thought about it. I don't really have a very good setup here for a studio. I've got, you know, people coming in and out and dogs barking and things. But um, it, I, I have done some stories for people like uh, on my Facebook, you know, author page. I got a few people who wanted to be part of a story. I wrote them into a Freya story and then I read it aloud on the on the Facebook page. So that was actually a lot of fun. I've just been thinking that maybe I'll do that again. Ooh, that's that's some fun, and I'm gonna pay attention to when that is next time. Yeah, I could get you in there too. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I had so much fun making the characters up from pe- for people, and then getting them into a Freya-style sort of frenetic adventure. So yeah, well, there's you just have so many books, and and I'm just gonna kind of go back to Land of Fire again because I've read it, and I had yeah. so much fun with the development of the story, and I just. It's not going to spoil anything to say, I love Brody. <laughs> Where did he come from? Is he someone that you've met before? No, no, he's not, which is a bit scary, really, because I guess that means he came out of my head. So, um, <laughs> yeah. 
no, he, he, yeah, he just evolved. No, I'm not sure he did evolve. He just, I just wanted Perry to have a friend who was in the SCA. And this, I mean, we, if you've been in the SCA, you do know people who live it. Like I've done that myself. I lived in a share house where we were just, you know, to the point where one of my friend's car broke down and she was hitchhiking down the highway and she couldn't work out why no one would pick her up. And it, she was wearing a cloak. You know, and you get to the point where you kind of forget that there's an, another life out there or like all dressed up in our garb and we walk into the local country town to pick up some bottles of mead to go to a feast and like wondering why people are looking at us funny, you know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I kind of just wanted to get into that, that those characters, those people who managed to kind of live it, you know, and I've got no problem with that. I think it's a great way to be, so yeah. Brody's super enthusiastic and basically just lives his, his persona all the time. That's one of the things that I loved about Brody. Yeah, you, you have to love the, the enthusiasm. You do. I'm not sure living with him would be quite as much fun. Probably not. Having him as a friend now and then, or having as a friend show over and being able to go out and party with him and, and play, that would be fun. But yeah, living with him might be a little bit extreme. Fortunately, uh, we don't have to be able to do that. No, but... that's right. Um, I, I do think he needs another book. I think there's a third, at least a third book in that series because I think Brody needs to come sort of front and centre. So I'm still brewing that one. That's one of my questions to you. So the next book is called Land of Fire and uh, it includes Perry and Lily. And do any of the other characters from the Land of Giants, or, or I'm sorry, uh, the next book is Land of Giants. Yeah. Uh, do any of the characters show up in that book? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've I'm trying to think who it was that started me on that. There's somebody I used to read, and I really like it when, like, people like Charles DeLint, they'll have a character who's in the forefront in one book, but then you get to follow their story through other books as a side character, or they start off as a side character, and then they get to come to the forefront in another book. So, um, yes, everybody from the first book that was the housemates and the friends is in the second book as well and would be in the third book. And because I like to, you know, when you finish a book and you just don't really want to just never hear what happens next to those people. So yeah. they don't necessarily have another whole book in their life story, but something, you know, you, they can be having a nice life while something more adventurous is happening to somebody else. So That's fantastic. And I love that because that's, that's kind of like world building. So uh, yeah, the Perry and Lily may not be the main characters of one of the following books, but some of the other, maybe Brody and someone else. Brody can go out on an adventure, maybe revisit the alternate universe and figure something out, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking, but I'm not sure. I mean, the second book I set in South America because I really wanted to get into their amazing megafauna that they had, you know, like saber-toothed tigers and, and all sorts of amazing creatures that they had there. And uh, so I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go next, but I'll, I'll probably look over the world and, and see what I can find. Perhaps I'll have to take them up to northern Europe and, you know, I'm not sure what sort of megafauna are up there, but I think they had things like giant elk and, and the um, the aurochs and things like that. So that might be a lot of fun too. That's That sounds really fun. I, I'm game. I'm, I'm ready for that story. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I want Brody to get some and, uh, well, you know, the person that he's, you know, that he's with these days, you know, and things to maybe get some resolution and stuff as well. Yeah, that would be that would be fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about some of your other books. So you have one called a series called Satan, Smith and Ghost Tales. Let's inform us a little bit about this. Now, this is one that I haven't read yet, and I think I did download it or recently. So it's on it's in the Kindle ready for more reading. 
but uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So what can you tell us about this one? It sounds, it looks really fun. They are really fun. Um, the character Satan isn't really that bad a person, but um, he quite likes the nickname that he got from childhood because it kind of helps him to have a front. He's really quite shy. And uh, he and his dog ghost, his rescue German Shepherd, get into um, all sorts of scrapes with uh, supernatural creatures in Australia. So I got to mess around with, um, <clears throat> you know, with some of the, the native um, folk tales and things like that, the local Aboriginal folk tales. And and yeah, once again, set it in Western Australia. But it's actually probably my most, that two, the two books of that series so far, actually probably my most popular that people seem to enjoy the most. It's probably hard to turn down a, a, a cute German shepherd, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, it's funny, when I write these these creatures, I always write some sort of creatures into my books, either, you know, fantastical or real types of ones. And they they really do become real to me. So I, every now and then I come across a white German shepherd and I just go, oh, it's ghost. <laughs> so I'm just waiting to see if uh, Luca's going to bark anymore. Luca, Luca, <laughs> ready? See, they, he wants to be part of the podcast as well. Yeah, he's only a baby yet, so he's a little bit, um, well, he's nine months old now, but he's a little bit um, interactive still with the world. So what the first book of with Satan and Ghost is called Chicken Soup for Satan. It was a word. <laughs> was a working title I didn't really know I actually started that one I quite often in the early days would start the books at, at during NaNoWriMo which of course a lot of people know about now which is where you just frantically write for a month and try to get 50,000 words of a first draft and I really enjoy that process and so I genuinely I can't even remember why I started the book now I I just I just don't know sometimes I don't know where they, the, the ideas come from but I just started and it was a working title and what I always say is well a working title is fine. I can always change it when I get to the end of the book and I decide what it's really about. So I guess Satan's life isn't all that happy until he he comes to this share house, which I experienced a lot of share houses over my life when I was younger. So I do actually enjoy them a lot. Um, and he, he comes to a share house that kind of begins to open him up from a childhood of being bullied and so on and having to have this sort of appearance of being so tough and scary he, he gets to open up through living in this house. And um, so I guess the chicken soup for Satan was about coming to this group house where he was accepted for who he was and he could begin to grow. And, yeah, so – and then his his da, who came from Liverpool, um, was actually um, a dock worker and experienced quite a lot of supernatural things showing up in shipping containers and things. So he starts to learn from his, his da. And so in the second book, he thinks he's more experienced, but that's called um, Satan Smith Crap Demon Hunter. And I genuinely set out to call it Satan Smith Demon Hunter, but halfway through – and just comes to the realization that he really is quite bad at this still so uh, so that's why the second book ended up getting the name changed slightly i love that that i love that that sounds so fun uh, i'm really looking forward to getting into that because who can't love a crap demon hunter i know he's, a, he's not as bad as he is but uh, i just really love this idea of putting characters together and you know finding support and family in places where you don't necessarily expect it and um, people being allowed to be who they are and still finding acceptance. I, I think that's a theme that I really probably follow through a lot of my book. That sounds really great. I love that uh, the first book is you basically end the description with, it's a fun tale of friendship, animals, and things that go bump in the night. 
So <laughs> yeah. do Satan and Ghost, do they sound like they're maybe going to come back too? Or are they kind of knocking on the door saying, hey, we have more that you want? we want you to tell us about? Definitely probably some more stories there, but I was really happy with where I came to at the end of the second book. So I'm just not sure I, I'm just... It's tricky, but yeah, there's definitely some more stories there if I want to. Yeah, I've heard from other authors that a lot of times the characters are the ones who tell you when they're ready for their stories to be told. Yeah, yeah, that that might be true. Yeah, and I've got Odin knocking on the door. He wants me to write some more, um, some more fiction with him in it. So that you know, that's in my thoughts as well. So there's some stories there, or perhaps a book of stories or something that are kind of you know brewing. Uh, in there as well so there's new things that I want to write too there's a lot of inspiration for you and things are are continuing on yeah so tell us about the galloping plans series Uh, it looks like you're focusing on your horse love there yeah you'd have to be horsey to enjoy those probably probably you they (laughs) they are not supernatural in any way but they they still have a lot of their characters so each of those is a different character from a share house again so there's you know i'm following the stories of the different people so they once again get to sort of be in the limelight and then you get to follow the stories of the other people through um they're a lot of fun they're a lot of fun they just evolve around sort of horses and um, mysteries so I didn't kill anybody in those, you know, <laughs> but yeah, there's some sort of mystery to solve. Would you think that that series is possibly more for like younger readers? My mom always tells me that my books would be great for young adults if I stopped putting swearing in them. So <laughs> uh, I guess, um, but then she doesn't really know young adults then really, because I think no. pretty sure they swear, but um, they are, I think I'm quite, I do write all of my writing tends to be fairly light, fairly fast-paced. It probably would work for young adults, and um, but I don't specifically write for, for young people or young adults. I'd write for people who are young at heart, I guess, which is a little bit cliched thing to say, but I think it's true. It's not cliche. I, I, I'm young at heart, and I feel like not like my age at all and not what I ever thought I would look like or feel like at this age. So it's quite strange. I just want people when they put the book down to feel happier, not sadder. Like, you know, I want I want people to feel better about the world and about themselves and about what they've just read. I don't want I don't want people to feel sort of darker and sadder. So I, I do take my characters into difficult situations, but I, I bring them out again. I could I could enjoy that. I mean, Lily really had a great communication with so many of the land spirits there. And I was like, oh, I would love to have that. Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. No, I really yeah, I really enjoyed her getting to do that. And um, yeah, there's a moment in the book that you probably I probably shouldn't say about it, but it's just every time I read that moment in the book, this moment where communication opens up, and I just I just it makes me happy to even think about that moment. Sorry. I'm pretty sure I know what one you're talking about. And yeah, I kind of have visions of, boy, I really wish I could do that myself here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Tell us about Freya, the, the Fjordrider Chronicles. She's, um, it's probably the closest thing I come to writing stuff without, well, it's, I won't say it's without heart, but she's like the alter ego of yourself that like, it, you know, people say, what would Jesus do or whatever? What would Thor do? I, I kind of say, what would Freya do? Because she just does all the things I probably wanted to be doing when instead I was trying to be a school teacher and all dressed up nice. And, and um, <laughs> so 
she just chooses and and I'm I'm I love fantasy I've read a lot of fantasy but I'm at the point where I don't want to read anything more where someone doesn't have a choice in what they choose to do I don't want any more destined to be this and you can't get out of it kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so she just gets to choose whatever the hell she wants to do she does so so from that point of view I have a lot of fun with her and if I feel like my writing is starting to close up like I'm starting to get too serious about my writing or that it's I'm starting to worry about what I'm writing I just write some Freya and that just blows things out again and, and just widens me out and gets me flowing so that sounds very inspirational yeah so she basically travels across this continent um having adventures and um she's oh she has a horse who was a human who was a very bad human and was punished by being turned into a horse but he's still quite bad tempered and um so that sort of um they're a fairly formidable um team that sounds quite like a delightful series of books to read so i'm looking forward to getting into them as well yeah i have a lot of fun and i have a lot of fun with the names and things i do a lot of word play in that one just because my family are a family of punsters so i get to do a lot of punning so so you're also a musician of sorts. You say you play musician musical instruments badly, and I don't think that they're that badly because I've, I've seen some of your YouTube videos where you've played some music, and I think it's quite good. It's funny, isn't it, that you can be confident in one area of your life and then in other areas you're not so confident. And I don't consider that I'm a musician like, say, Hawk Heimdallsman is or Dave the Bard because writing is probably my craft, but music is one of my great joys so i don't worry about how fantastically i play i just play all the time so i'm pleased what what instruments do you play besides guitar um probably my primary instrument nowadays is my anglo-saxon lyre i've been playing actually it came through on facebook the other day i've, I've had one for five years now i i wasn't even sure if i would like one we certainly couldn't afford to buy one that someone else had made from so i asked my very handy husband to make me one from some plans and he made me one for my birthday and I just I didn't even know it's funny you sometimes you have those moments in your life again you past life you know because I just knew I wanted one I'd never seen one in real life I certainly never got to play one and when it came to my hands it felt like it was supposed to be there so my Anglo-Saxon light and I now have an eight string one which is not traditional but it gets means I can get right across an, an octave and I made that one myself so now I've expanded up into actually making instruments as well Wow. Um, yeah, ukulele for fun, you know, because ukuleles are a bit like the Freya Fjord writer of the music world, and um, and guitar and Irish penny whistle a bit. I'll have a go at anything. I have an Anglo-Saxon lyre that a, a very good friend gave me, and I have been very much intimidated because string instruments have not been my strength. I tried learning guitar, and I got okay, but she gave me this lyre because she had an extra one, and she's like oh hey here maybe you could have this for the group and things and i've played around with it so how do you learn how to play an anglo-saxon lyre so you have to just play and make the sounds that are nice and and start to work out what sounds good to you and just get your fingers moving and then i the first thing i did was write a song to odin because odin had inspired me to get one and and the second thing i did was look at there were only a few youtube videos then there are a lot more now uh, a fellow called vitian who is was in a band called pilgrim he had one and he had a song which was a cover 
cover of Enciferum's Old Man, which I really love the idea of using them to, using this a very old instrument to, you know, play with modern music. Mm-hmm. And so I watched the video over and over and over again and listened, and from that I worked out the second song. So ever since then I've kind of done a combination of just, and you just listen to the song and fiddle with the lyre at the same time and you can start to get a feel for what fits and what doesn't. Um, so that's what I've done. I've written some songs and I've worked out some other songs. Wow. I, I will take it out of its bag and start playing on it, being inspired by you. And what a cool inspiration that you were able to make your own and that your husband made one for you as well. I think that's really an awesome thing. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the two right now. I did make two at a time because what happened was I got him to, I made two at the same time. I got him to show me on one and I made the other one fully myself so that it would be like, you know, the one that I'd made from scratch that was all, you know, so there's a sort of a magic in it by making it all yourself. Mm-hmm. But actually the one that we made together is the one that, that's become my, my favourite liar. So. That's really great. Well, I look forward to seeing some videos when you finally do post some. It's beautiful. Probably gives traditionalist lyre players connection because it's bright blue with a, a boar painted on it. And, uh, and of course, it's eight strings. Oh, well. Whatever makes you play it and enjoy it, that's what—that's what's more important, right? Yeah, that's right. And who's to say that that you have to keep it traditional? I mean, music is always about adapting and changing. That's why we have so many really wonderful instruments. Well, that's right. And who knows that there wasn't an eight-string one there somewhere, but it just never has shown up in a barrow because most of the designs we have came from barrows. <clears throat> but we don't really know how they were tuned or anything like that so you know it it is very open to experimentation i think that's one of the things i like about it yeah absolutely you have also taken to recording a couple of covers of hawk heimdelsman who you mentioned a little while ago and i play his music as our intro and uh, i love hawk music he's really a very talented musician so how did you find out about hawk and and decide to start picking out some of his music on on your podcast i heard him first and i was like whoa i love that music so um i was one of the people that bought all the the cds that he had there as a set that you could get from you and um i i just think he writes the most kick-ass songs that's a very australian thing to say but he does he writes these kick-ass songs so i nearly always end a guitar session with um one of his songs like ghost of the open road and i've taught it to some friends who uh, we play together with our guitars and ukuleles and things and we it's one of the songs or a couple of his songs are the ones that we always really get onto and the new one in his new album is that's called red hawk rising so we're working on that one at the moment because it just makes you it's like my books i just like to play music that makes me happier at the end of it so we'll work on some some things that are difficult and you know we might make mistakes and things but we'll always end with a hawk song so that we end feeling really happy oh that's fantastic oh wow I really want to be on one of your jam sessions sometime. So I can't wait to come to Australia again. If you, Even if you make it to the East Coast, I'll come over there. <laughs> well, I, as, as I mentioned to you offline, I have been to Western Australia before when I was in the military. I mean, I would really love to go back just because I had such a beautiful experience there when I was there the first time. Pretty, we're a pretty nice crowd, really. We're, pretty, we're very friendly. And we, uh, we're pretty laid back in Western Australia because we're further away. I think we've got the furthest away sort of state city or not, you know, the, of anywhere in the world. We're, we're very isolated here. So, but we, we do, yeah, we're friendly. <laughs> we like seeing new people. It was friendly and I really enjoyed the time there. Well, Tina, thanks for joining me and tell, t- telling us about the books. So the books are all available on Amazon right now. And the Kindle editions are at a very reasonable price of 99 cents U.S. 
they're all available and I'll have links in the show notes. Absolutely. I usually I usually try to adhere to the same indie pricing policy. So they usually cost more than they do at the moment. So while everybody's stuck at home, I thought, well, I think exactly what they need is a nice lighthearted read. So I just dropped the prices on everything. And I don't know how long this is going to go on, but... Um, you know the everybody being inside because of the virus so for now hopefully some people will get some a bit of escapism from them yeah i hope a lot of folks will just go and download like crazy because they are worthwhile for sure uh, at least based on what i've already read and i'm uh, i've already downloaded four or five of them now <laughs> because i'm just ready to start reading some more and i just can't wait to share them with give people gift certificates so they could buy the books themselves yeah. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be fun? You, you can, and you can even, I think, I haven't done it myself, but I believe you can actually have things arrive at people's Kindles, like on their birthday and things like that. So I look forward to book three of the Norse World Tales, because I really want to hear what happens with Brody. So I'm just letting you know, not pressuring you. No, no. But I'm just... stuck in the middle of a book at the moment, so it's just not supernatural enough. Maybe I need to just put it down and start writing a different book. Just letting you know that I'm looking forward to hearing Brody's tale. All right. I'll keep brewing on that one. So thanks for joining us and, and telling us about the books and for uh, writing these wonderful these wonderful things. We look forward to reading them. Oh, thank you so much. I'm just smiling, smiling now because I'm so happy that you enjoyed the book so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Please have a look at Tina's books on Amazon and stick around as Tina takes us out to Ghosts of the Open Road by Hawk. Please leave positive comments on iTunes and other podcast distributors. This helps others to find the podcast. Please send feedback and ideas to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at WeirdGifts, Facebook at Gifts of the Weird, and on Instagram at WeirdGifts1. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you and hail the gods.
I put my 